Lit Service is brought to you by Writer's Clearinghouse. Writer's Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost, professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. Now here's the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service Podcast, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice and live at Fan X in Salt Lake City. A big welcome today to our live audience and to our special guests. We are really excited for this episode all about how to finish your first book, a huge milestone for any writer, any wannabe writer. Um, so today for introductions, we're going to go over real fast what race we would do if we wanted to do a race and how we would win that race. So my name is Aaliyah. If I were to do a race, I would do the swimming race Escape from Alcatraz and I would wear a backpack full of Dorito bags because they're mostly air. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Caitlin and if I were to do a race, it would definitely involve eating chocolate and the key to any race like that would be pacing yourself and then making sure you save all of the really strong tastes for last. All right, so for me, I think... I would start out with some stilettos, maybe a mini skirt and some fishnet stockings and then like a really revealing shirt because I think that'd be pretty racy. Oh. <laughs> so what was it again? <laughs> a race you would run and how you'd win. They gave us some instructions before this and I conveniently ignored them, clearly. So I guess the race would be, I, I would be in a race to ignore instructions and I would uh, do it by just being my normal scatterbrain self. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much. So we have some fantastic guests today. We have Charlie Holmberg and Brian Lee Durfee here. Charlie is a Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestselling author whose debut series, The Paper Magician, has been optioned by the Walt Disney Company. Her standalone novel, Followed by Frost, was nominated for a 2016 Rita Award for Best Young Adult Romance. And her novel, The Fifth Doll, won the 2018 Whitney Award for Speculative Fiction. She is a board member for Deep Magic Ezon. Did I say that right? Ezine? Okay, fantastic. Brian Lee Deerfee is an artist and writer. He has done illustrations for Wizards of the Coast, Tolkien Enterprises, Dungeons and Dragons, Humane Society, Wildlife, Land Trust, and many more. He is the author of The Forgetting Moon and The Blackest Heart, which are the first two books in the fantasy series Five Warrior Angels. Is there anything either of you would like to add to those introductions? I will, yeah. First and foremost, since this is about getting your first novel written and how to get published or whatever, most of us here are going to have writing as a hobby to begin with, and we're going to have a day job, right? So first and foremost, my day job is I am a sergeant at the Utah State Prison, and I run all the uh, prison libraries. And we teach creative writing classes at the prison, and we do um, literacy courses. And me and James Dashner two years ago, put on the very first ever in the history of the world prison Comic-Con <laughs> where we showed Maze Runner movies and we talked to the inmates about writing. There's a lot of creative people in prison and a lot of writers and wannabe writers, even in prison. And we, we gave them writing courses and everything. So that's the only other thing I would add. That's fantastic. Thank you. I was just going to say, he is so much cooler than I am. <laughs> Um, because we're at FanX, I'll introduce myself really quick. I'm Caitlin Sangster and I wrote The Last Star Burning series, which is a young adult series that's set in post-apocalyptic China. Awesome. Thank you for that. So writing is hard, which is why we're all here and why we're all here. 
So tell us real fast, what was it like the first time you finished a novel? Not necessarily got it published, but the first time you wrote the end and knew it was, it was good. Well, my first novel was like a hot mess. It was like a JRPG that was 169,000 words long. That was slightly inspired by Tales of Symphonia, if anyone's ever played that game. Um, but that was the first one I ever finished, and I never went back to revise it or anything because even I knew it was pretty garbage. <laughs> but it felt good to finish a book. So I will share, like, most people who want to be uh, professional authors never actually finish a book, which is kind of important. So if you finished a book, even if it's a dumpster fire, you're already ahead of, like, 95% of other writers. So, Well, my first novel was a big, epic serial killer horror novel set down in southern Utah, and it was pretty R-rated, and... Uh, it was 330,000 words. It was way too out of control in so many different ways. The only thing that my mom said was, why did you have to write about a serial killer? You know, I didn't raise a son that would write about serial killers, right? She's like, I said I should probably write more about Jesus and stuff like that. But I haven't yet. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the, the biggest hangups when you're first starting to write is what people will think about what you're writing. And if you let that phase you, it, it's paralyzing because you're like, people are going to read this and think this book is about me or about like my relationship with my husband or my kids or like you're worried that people will project the story onto you. And you know, some people do, but it's not that big of a deal. Well, yeah. In, in, my, fan, in my epic fantasy novel that got published, um, my dad read it and he pretty much thought that every bad thing that happened to any character in that book was what I wanted to secretly do to him. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not, it's not that way at all. It's like, Dad, not everything in the world is about you, right? You know? <laughs> you know, I haven't gotten too much of that except like in reviews because if like, oh, like a woman was harmed in this book, therefore I support the harming of women. Oh, yeah. But the one thing I do get is like my dad who listens to all my audiobooks will be like, well, that was some kiss and then just looks at me. <laughs> yeah, anything you write in your novel, even if it's a character that you you think the character is the is the one of the worst human beings on the planet, and you're writing him as if he's one of the worst human beings on the planet, every word that comes out of that character's mouth, the readers and their people out there will think that you, the author, are actually like that. And it's just not the case. Well, well it's true. Sometimes it's the case. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Caitlin? What was it like the first time you finished a novel? I still remember. I like went and took myself out to dinner. I mean, it's such a huge enterprise to finish a book. My book was like 100,000 words long. It's the one that I ended up actually publishing my first book, which is crazy. Don't expect that to happen. I was really lucky. Yeah, I just remember being like so elated. And it's, it's a big deal if you finish your book. That's why we're talking about this, because it's hard. So we've talked a little bit about a few hard things we face when writing our first book, what other people will think, kind of coming out as an author. But what are some other things that make writing a first novel hard? Let's just throw them out here. Finding the time. I mean, establishing the habit of writing. I mean, changing any habits is difficult. And so trying to carve out time for yourself to say, I'm going to go stare at my computer and not like interact with people and trying to explain that to other people who have claim on your time is really hard at first. And so just something that I wanna say is that writing is a legitimate hobby. It's like playing basketball or playing soccer or just any other kind of hobby. Writing is an okay thing to take time for. You know, I would say probably one of the hardest things for me was figuring out how to organize a plot so I think for the most part, when I would have writer's block, it was because I didn't know what to do next because I didn't have a well-organized plot. And so being able to figure out exactly what I want to do throughout the end of the book so I could actually get to the end of the book was really important for me. 
Yeah, just getting started. You know, I had dreams of being an author ever since I was 12 years old and read The Sword of Shannara by Terry Brooks and was just like, man, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then I just dreamed about it for the next, you know, 20 years. See, one of these days I'll get that novel written, you know. And then I was in my early 30s and I was kind of a struggling artist and I was working as a part-time carpet cleaner. One of the clients we had as a carpet cleaning company was uh, the Utah Jazz Hall of Fame point guard, John Stockton. Some of you might remember him. He was a really famous basketball player in Utah a while back. I was cleaning carpets at his house one day, and, it, and he was sitting at the desk in his den, and I noticed he had a row of bookshelves right there in his den, and, and a lot of the books I'd read that he had collected, and I struck up a conversation with him about writing and about reading and about the books we love. And I made the offhand comment that, you know, I always wanted to write a book one day. And he said to me, well, why haven't you? And I just kind of was like, I don't know, and, and went back to cleaning the carpets, you know. But that stuck with me for the rest of the day. I just kept thinking about what he said. Why haven't you started? You've been dreaming about it your whole life. Why haven't you started? And, you know, had anybody else in the world said that sentence to me, I probably would have ignored it. But since it was John Stockton, a, a little guy who played in a, a league full of seven-foot giants and became an all-star, if he, if he said that to me, I was like, if he can do that, I can write a novel. That night I got home and I wrote the first sentence of my first novel and I've been writing every day since. So, you know, it just sometimes it needs a spark like that. Sometimes you just got to come up with your own spark and you just got to do, if you write one sentence a day or one page a day or one page a week, over time, that builds up, and you'll eventually have a novel. If you think about it, if you write a thousand words a week, then you know sixty thousand words is a novel. I mean, a short novel, not one of his novels, but I mean, that's only sixty weeks. That's a year. There you have it. We all can do this. And so we've talked a little bit about the depressing things we face, and I, I think especially with writing, I liked how you said it's like basketball. It is a valid hobby, but sometimes it can be lonely because a lot of people aren't with you when they see you practicing, and we usually only see the finished result. You know, you go to the library, you don't see first drafts or editing manuscripts, you only see the finished draft. Um, so now we want to talk a little bit about what we can do to overcome these obstacles. I feel like a lot of writing is a mind game. I like to run, I don't know if any of these other guys like to run, but running is a mind game. And it's not really about being able to go far. I mean, there's some of that that's like, that's building muscle and training yourself. But a lot of it is like not looking at your watch and saying how long you've been running and like not looking at your mileage and just going. And writing is the same way because it's a mind game. I feel like the first novel is the hardest because you don't believe in yourself until you've finished it. Like I didn't believe that I could run 10 miles until I had already done it. And it's the same with my book. After I finished it, I was like, oh, oh, I did that. And then from now on, I'm like, it's still hard, but I'm like, I already did it once, so. Just finishing the first time is like the best thing you can do for yourself as a writer, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I think just with anything, it's, it's practice makes perfect. I mean, never stop learning. Even once you're published, you never want to stop learning. You want to go to conferences. You want to read craft books. You want to read in and out of the genre that you want to write in and you want to learn. I mean, so Caitlin said that she is so talented and published her first book. I published my ninth that I'd finished. Not ninth I'd started, because there were a lot I started that I never finished, but it took me nine. And my first one was hot garbage and I had to get slightly better. By book four, I learned how to write a proactive protagonist. You know, and it just takes practice. And I really like what you said. You just have to like put your head down and do it 
and not think about it and it'll get done. Yeah, my first novel, which I told you was the big serial killer novel, I submitted that to every agent and publisher in New York City and got a rejection letter from every agent and publisher in New York City. And you know, when you spend three or four years writing a 330,000 word novel only to have it get rejected by everybody, you know, that's a tough pill to swallow. Because you think, you know, well, I just wasted a lot of time. And then I was like, but I also had these ideas for epic fantasy novels and some science fiction. I just had, was full of ideas. And, and I thought, can I do it again? Can I spend another three to five years working on another big epic novel just to have it rejected? And, you know, I, the fact that I finished that first one was what led me to believe I could do it again. So once you get that first one, you can do nine you can do, the first one might be your, your lucky break, or you can be like Brandon Sanderson and it'll be 12. 13. Or 13, whatever it was, yeah. <laughs> even, even more, you know? So that first one is important because once you finish it, once you finish that first chapter, you can know you can do another one, right? Once you finish that first book, you know you can do another one. I feel like something that newer writers really struggle with is perfectionism they look at their first chapter or their first three chapters and they're like this has to be perfect and they go back and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite I'm in a writing group with a lady who is an amazing writer but she keeps rewriting the first 45 pages of her book over and over and over again and she won't finish it and the last time I talked to her I was like I know that you are wanting this to be absolutely perfect but what you need to do is write down all of your plot points and write to the end and then you go back and make it nice because making it nice is too hard the first time you don't know all of I mean, even if you're a really structured outliner, things are going to change as you're writing. Like your characters will go up. I hate it when people talk about characters as if they're real people who have real will. You're writing them. They're not real. But um, you're, sometimes as you're writing, you realize that your character isn't going to act or, or wouldn't act the way you thought they would in your outline. And so things will change. And so it's best to just get like the bare bones down, for me anyway. I mean, everybody writes differently. And then to go back and make it good. You know, something else I want to add too. So this is the case for me, and I know it's the case for Dan Wells, is that we, actually I think we both started writing epic fantasy because that's what we read. And so we would write these epic fantasies and then, you know, try to sell them to New York and they just weren't going anywhere. And it wasn't until we dabbled in another genre that we started doing really well. So I started writing YA where like for five books, I was trying so hard to sound adult. I was trying to sound like Robert Jordan. And then he started writing horror. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is what I'm good at. And so sometimes it's like, what am I writing? Maybe I'm not in the right genre. Well, yeah, I started out wanting to be the next Stephen King with my horror novels and my serial killer novels and all my murder mysteries. And that'll probably never happen now because now I'll be known as the epic fantasy guy. You can always do more than one thing, of course. But I think that once you find your stride and find something you're really good at, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes trying a bunch of different stuff. And so don't confine yourself to like, we'll read widely. You know, mm -hmm. and try different things like listen to podcasts about writing like this one yay or you can pick something new off the shelf in the library yeah so you guys just the fact that you guys are sitting in this room I'm telling you right now you've got a head start over like all the other wannabe writers that are wandering around down there in their cosplay getting the selfies cosplay's cool though um, yeah <laughs> I, I don't have anything against it but there's a, I have a lot of writer friends that come to Comic Con and they've never once sat in a writing panel Okay, which baffles my mind. And these are the same people that also tell me that they don't read a lot. I want to be a writer, but you know, I haven't read a book in five years. Well, that just doesn't make sense to me. So the fact that you guys are here, and I'm assuming since you're here, you probably are huge readers, and you've probably at least attempted to write something. So you guys are already ahead of the curve. 
Amen to that. And I think that's so important. Keep reading what you love. You can't have output if you're not having input at the same time. And something that's really cool that I didn't realize until I got serious about writing is you can actually use your favorite novel as a textbook. Um, you know, break out a Brandon Sanderson book and study how he does world building or exposition, you know, go through it line by line. And that can be incredibly helpful. You'll, you'll start to notice that in other books you read and kind of start to get a better feel for it yourself. Yeah. On that note, don't let yourself feel paralyzed by reading somebody else's finished work. I remember um, as I was first finishing my first book, I did read a Brandon Sanders, I think it was Warbreaker. And I was like, why am I even here? Like, why did I do this? Why did I waste my time writing a book? Because this guy already has it down, obviously. But it's true that you are looking at finished products and Brandon has, I mean, all of us have more experience maybe than you guys do. And if you read like your favorite books, I mean, they've spent years and years and years becoming that writer and you have space to do it. One of my favorite things is reading a writer's debut and then reading like their 10th book and seeing the difference in their skill level. You still have a chance to grow even after you've been published. So I also like the theme of diligence you guys are bringing up here, because I think sometimes as beginning writers, we have the erroneous assumption that, you know, people are either prodigies and they can either write or they can't. It just doesn't happen. But there's so much to be said for hard work. And so, Brian, I love what you said about, you know, writing every single day and Charlie, you about practicing. Just like any other hobby, you have to practice. And the nice thing is it does get better. When, yeah. I, when I say write every single day, I'll be honest, there's days I don't write. Like, I'm not going to write anything today because I'm here. You know, there's certain, you know, don't think that you absolutely have to do that because there's days that even the best of writers, like Stephen King and Brander Sanderson, probably just are like, I'm not doing it today. Mm -hmm. Write at your own pace. Find your own thing that works. I mean, there's so many writers who will be like, this is the only way to write. This is the only way you'll be successful, but that's not true. I mean, everybody, I mean, writing is such an individual thing. All of us sit in our own basements and write by ourselves. Like we're not in a big group doing it together. So you can do it however works for you. Challenge yourself. Go at your own pace, but make sure it's a little bit hard. Excellent. Thank you. We are out of time for this section of the podcast, so we're going to move on to our critique. So for those of you who are just joining us on this podcast for the first time, we take someone's first chapter submission that they've submitted through our website and we give a non-prescriptive things we liked, things that might need a second look. So non-prescriptive means you give advice about the problem you see and not the solution. If people ask for the solution, it's fantastic to give it to them, but a lot of times you can end up cramping an author's style or leading them in a wrong direction. So the most helpful critiques are those that state the symptoms, and then let the author figure it out for themselves. So today we have a fun chapter, and if you'd like to check out the text of this submission and see all of our notes, check out our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines on there as well. So a summary of this chapter, we have a very anxious teenager is a new student at a school. During class, she has a panic episode and ends up breaking a vial in the failed experiments room. So... Very intriguing. What are some things we liked about this chapter? One of the things I liked with it was the relationships that are established throughout the thing. Like she has a relationship with two teachers and then a relationship with this supposed bully on the bus. And that was what made me want to keep reading the most was I wanted to see where those relationships went. Yeah, the writer did a good job of creating a little touch of mystery behind each one of those relationships also, which is, I think, why we were intrigued with those relationships. I thought there were some really nice moments of foreshadowing. After the main character has this kind of panic attack like episode in her science class, she runs into the failed experiments room, which when I first read it, I was like, oh, she feels like she's a failed experiment. That's so sad. I don't know if that's what the author intended. 
but because there were actual failed experiments in the room, and then I think it has relevance to the plot later, but I thought that was really cool. And I also really liked that we had some foreshadowing at the very end, she breaks this vial, and one of the teachers comes in and touches the stuff, cuts himself, I think, and gets some of it on him, and so we have that foreshadowing that something's going to change. I agree, I had that note as well. I also thought there were some really nice descriptions in here. A fun one was when the main character is on this gross school bus, and it talks about how the seats were sticky with teenage residue, I was like, ooh. <laughs> Another one I highlighted was where she says her eyes were pressed so tightly that black stars bloomed behind her eyelids. thought that was good. Mm -hmm. A nice moment of character voice. Sad, but it was, it was good character voice. She says she sat trying not to look as stupid as she felt, and I thought that was a good character voice. Mm -hmm. If we're good to move on to things that might need a second look, what are some notes you guys have? So my biggest critique for this actually also has to do with character voice. So was this the actual end of the chapter, by the way, or was this? Is it's there what a word was count? sent to us. Okay, so the thing is, like, so I read all these pages. I don't know how many pages it is, like seven maybe? All these pages, and I still don't really feel like I know who Maddie is. Like, I know she has anxiety, but we're in a first-person point of view with this chapter. That's a very tight point of view, but we don't really get very many of her thoughts outside of her breathe, breathe, breathe mantra. I don't really know who she is. I don't know what she's thinking. Like she's on the bus. It's like, oh, I'm the new girl. And like, I expect her to be like, I wish that my dad hadn't made me move from Phoenix or like, you know, something. I felt like we needed a little introspection or a little more thoughts for her because I felt like she was a fairly flat character. And I didn't realize she was a new girl until, you know, a couple pages in when it finally stated that. And sometimes I think with uh, writing, you just up, up front, you can just, you can literally just say, put a sentence in there, my, my name is Sarah, age 14, and I'm the new girl at the school. Really, that's, it sets up who it is we're dealing with right, at the gate, right out of the gate. I think something that a lot of newer authors struggle with is they try to create mystery with the wrong kinds of details. Mm -hmm. Like, they yes. want to propel the story forward by not telling us enough about the character, rather than telling us enough about the character that we're interested to know what happens next. That was the main critique yeah. I had through the whole thing is it seemed like she was creating a mystery in the wrong area. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really good way. By withholding who, who the character was, what she looked like, and her age, and, 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 and any of her relationship to anything that was else in the story. Yeah, I felt like at the end we had this little clue that maybe she was a plant at the school. Did anybody else get that? I kind of felt like she went and sat. This, there's a bully at the beginning who trips her, and then she talks to a teacher and finds out that this bully is his son, and then she gets back on the bus and purposely sits next to him, and it says something like, and now I'm you know, where I need to be or something like that. And I was like, wait a second, is she there to like take him out? I mean, it's obviously sci-fi. And so I had all these questions, but they were the wrong kinds of questions because I was like, this hasn't been put in context. I don't understand what's going on. Um, I actually felt kind of ungrounded from the first paragraph, kind of what you guys are talking about. It wasn't just with character, but like, I wasn't sure, like I knew she was on a bus, but I wasn't sure where they were going or why. And so like, there were a lot of grounding details, like just about her environment and why she was there that I needed. Yeah, so that, along with that, that was like my, my second biggest thing was, it felt like to me, like, I mean, the writing is pretty good, but it felt like to me that somebody went through it and just took out a few random sentences throughout. And I was like, wait, how'd the yellow ball get up there? Or like, oh, wait, is she sitting down now? Like mm -hmm. just little things like that, that didn't quite connect across. And I really think that just sitting down and reading it out loud, you'd catch all of those. Yeah, there's a lot of repetition in words like um, he stared at me, I stared at him, that guy was staring at this person. You know, there's other words besides staring that you can use in that paragraph, you know. I'm so cautious that I try not to use the same 
word over again, even in a chapter, if it's like a really noticeable word, you know, clearly there's words that you have to use over and over and over and over again. But any word that's kind of unique, if you use it really close together, it really stands out. It also tells you a whole lot about the character. If you use your language in a really specific way, like you can get to know a character just by the words they use, the things that they notice. And in a first chapter, that's so important. So you have to use your words very wisely. Another thought I had on this one is that there was an interesting, this is line level, really picky, but there were a lot of gerund incomplete sentences throughout that it just seemed like, I think a lot of authors have something that is their thing that they do a lot, like it's a writing tick or something. And the, this particular author's writing tick is a gerund that is an incomplete sentence. So maybe look at those. That was my number three. So we're the same. So fra sentence fragments are totally okay in fiction. Like technically they're not grammatically correct, but they can be used in an artistic manner in fiction. So, you know, you say, I ran into the dark room, running away from the monster, waiting, the darkness enveloping me, you know, those that's, are all three that's, sentences. That I'm just like, wait, was that a fragment? You know, like you can use those short sentences and sentence fragments as as voice and artistically. But she does have a lot in here where those sentence fragments feel more clunky than artistic. It feels unintentional rather than like a, a, a tone or a Yeah, and again, thing. I think like reading it out loud, you'd catch all those. Yeah, reading your first chapters out loud is like one of the best things that you could do. That's like when I listen to my audiobooks after my book come out, I hear every single mistake we missed. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Do we have any final notes? You know, one other thing I would say, Patty, the bully on the bus, when she's like, oh, the guy on the bus, I was like, oh, he's important. Because all we know is that some kid sticks his foot out. I would like to even just get a quick physical description of him or his expression, just a little bit more about him to know that he's not just a placeholder, like that he's a person and he's going to be part of this story. Well, and on that note, we have this guy who trips her and then the teacher inside says, oh, that's my son. And she doesn't have an emotional reaction to that at all. I was surprised that she was like, oh, that, that jerk out on the bus or like. Yeah, I put a note about that too. Mm -hmm. Like she just assumed, she almost assumed it was the same kid. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to the first person POV and getting to know the character more. We need to see her emotions throughout. Mm -hmm. And like we see them kind of distantly. But I, if we're going to be like right in there where it's like, I did this, I did this, I did this. I, I want to see, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this as well. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need to use the word I feel. Yeah. That's a no, you don't, don't say that. But. <laughs> yeah, but that's the advantage of a first-person narrative is that we get to we get to experience it along with the character. Thank you so much, and thank you to this author for submitting. We love looking at your work, and that is all the time we have. So we're gonna go ahead and close out. But thank you, Charlie and Brian, for coming on the show. We loved having you. Um, our next episode will be a little different than usual. We will be doing query critiques with a panel of current literary agents. If you would like a query critique, send us what you've got by April 29th. We'll be choosing 10 and we'll give hot takes, hashtag 10 query style. Remember, you can watch the video feed of this recording on YouTube, or you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us ratings, reviews, and comments. It helps others to find the show. If you want to ask us questions or complain about life, the world, and everything, you can find us on Twitter at LitService or on Facebook and Instagram at LitServicePodcast, or you can email us at LitServicePodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to this episode to our intern, Chelsea Mortensen, and our sound designer and video wrangler, Jason Akinaka. 
Lit Service is brought to you by Writers Clearinghouse. Writers Clearinghouse empowers authors and agents by providing low-cost professional evaluations of entire manuscripts that tell you exactly where your manuscript stands and what you can do to improve it. To learn more, visit www.writersch.com. Listeners of Lit Service will receive 20% off an evaluation by using the code LITSERVICE20 at purchase. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>